So hand flapping, like stemming and stuff like that. Sometimes parents and clinicians will target that. And that's not, that that doesn't um, negatively impact your quality of life. So it shouldn't be targeted. Hello and welcome back to the Alice and Autistic podcast. You'll notice that this week there's no music. Um, I basically kind of been using a track I don't think I should have and I need to find another one but I also need to get the episode up. So I'm just going to put it up. This week we're speaking with Joy. She is a behavioural specialist and has not one, not two, but three degrees and is currently studying for her master's in psychology. She is autistic and works with, oh, sorry, no, she's doing research around ABA therapy. So, yeah, we have a bit of a chat. We have, bloody hell, can I talk? We have a bit of a chat about that as well as marginalised and... I can't even talk. I actually can't even talk. I'm just going to let you get into the episode. We talk a little bit about race and forgotten autistics, especially in the online space, mainly talking about black autistics and people who are less verbal. Enjoy. That was a lie. Sorry, I've just realised the episode needs a brief um, trigger warning. Warning. There's mention of self-harm in this episode. Um, Only, like, briefly mentioned. Nothing Actually, I'm not going to deem what's graphic and what's not. If you are triggered by that, then I will see you next week. Or go and watch a YouTube video that I've got up or something. But yeah, best you stay clear of this episode. Um, I'd say it's still safe for like children to listen to if anyone's got kids around. But yeah, if you are triggered by mention of self-harm, then uh, just, just, just don't. Just, just don't go past this point. Also, the audio is a little bit off. Um, I don't know what happened with my end. Joy sounds perfectly fine. And you'll hear at the end of the interview that she just randomly gets cut off. Something happened with the audio file. Not been a great week. But yeah, I'm done now. Listen to the rest of the podcast. <laughs> so, going like all the way back to when you got your first diagnosis when you were six what made like your parents go to like reach out and get help or was it school like how did that come about um I wasn't speaking so I was just like not I would speak but not to people mm-hmm. <laughs> like I would script and talk about things so they thought but it was like stuff that I saw on tv but I would I wouldn't speak to people okay um directly so I, I wouldn't engage in like a conversation And I had like a lot of repetitive, like rocking and just kind of not wanting to engage with people. Yeah. So they said they were like really concerned, you know, like with that. I did not speak until I was 12, though. So I still, you know, engaged in those behaviors. I just found a way to communicate without speech. Mm -hmm. And then I started speaking after I was 12. What methods of communication did you use? I knew ASL. My mom used to teach sign language. Yeah. So I used ASL first and then I slowly started speaking around 12, 13 years old. And how was school then? Did you just go to a normal school or well, mainstream school? Um, so I went to a private school. While I always had difficulty engaging with people, I was considered quote unquote smart. <laughs> yeah. So I went to a school for children. I'm not 
I'm not gonna say that everybody was diagnosed with Asperger's, but a lot of the kids that went to the school that I went to, you know, fit that profile. Yeah. Like it was kids that were like extremely intelligent, but like socially awkward. (laughs) So I went to a private school. I never went to a public school. So then what's your, looking back, do you think if you'd have had a autism or Asperger's diagnosis to begin with, it would have made any difference? Yes, only because um, in America, because I didn't get that diagnosis till I was like 12 and my functional speech was already kind of like not there and I was still working on it, I was granted a certificate and not a diploma. Okay. So it's a different route. You don't get to graduate. So when you don't get to graduate, you really, you can't qualify to go to college. So in order for, in order for me to go to college, I had to later on in life, take something called a GED test. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they have it in the UK, but it's like a general education test. And that's, so I had to display the skills of what would be learned in high school and pass that test. And I I passed it and that's how I ended up going to college, but I did not graduate from high school. What did you end up studying when you went? To college. Yeah. So I, my first degree was in fine arts and I was a tattoo artist for like 10 years. And then I decided to go to school for education. So I got a master's in education, a graduate degree in education. Then I got a graduate degree in psychology. And now I'm in a PhD program for psychology. Okay. So psychology twice or different specialisms? Same specialization. My specialization is applied behavioral analysis. So it's psychology with an ABA specialization. What's ABA? Which you know is tricky in the autism community. <laughs> Why? Do you, what makes you say that? A lot of autistics in America don't like ABA because they say that it makes you perform to be neurotypical. Yeah. My debate with that is the science of ABA is just human behavior it has nothing to do with autism because aba is not for autism specifically yeah so it's kind of like you use reinforcement to strengthen behaviors and you don't reinforce behaviors to decrease behaviors depending on you know what the behaviors are like if you want people to learn how to use functional communication you find ways to reinforce it if you want to stop somebody from like banging their head against the wall you find ways to not reinforce it so that decreases So the problem with ABA is not ABA, it's the social validity of it, meaning who's deciding who implements treatment on what, which is largely neurotypically viewed. So hand flapping, like stemming and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. sometimes parents and clinicians will target that and that's not, that that doesn't um, negatively impact your quality of life. So it shouldn't be targeted. But in some cases it is because the parents want it to be. So that's the reason why I'm getting my PhD is to kind of bring us into the mix of things, meaning us, meaning the autistic community. I want to um, get us involved in research that determines treatments. So we kind of put a a stamp on it. Like this is okay with the values of our community. Right now I'm doing my dissertation on stemming and how it's beneficial and it's not harmful. So it should not be treated. But in order to come to that conclusion to actually to have it affect like you know the the treatment world the you know the research world I have to do like research like evidence-based research to involve us in a formal way yeah so we statistically can show like most of us benefit from stemming you know and it's not something that harms us now there I do have clients that stem to hurt themselves and that's different you know 
Um, but when you stemming and just flapping your hands, that's not, that's just, that's something that we should be promoting neurodiversity. We should promoting awareness and acceptance and not like trying to treat, you know? Yeah. So when you mentioned clients, just then like, what, what do you work with clients on? What do you do? So most of my clients, I specialize in self injurious and aggression. So most of my clients hurt themselves in some type of way for sensory input. Yeah. And still with that, I don't take the sensory input away from them. I just try to find some type of match sensory input, like a replacement behavior. So I'm not trying to get them to like totally not get the sensory they need, but find a way to do it so where they're not hurting themselves, like hitting them their heads against the wall. A lot of my clients are also non-vocal. So we work on communication as well. So I build communication and not necessarily verbal behavior. I mean, well, verbal behavior, but not necessarily vocalizations, you know? So it can be anything from ASL to using a device to picture, to pointing to gestures. That's verbal behavior, you know? Yeah. So what ages are your clients in general? like? From two to 40. Okay. (laughs) I prefer to work with adults because I think, you know, kids... Delayed development doesn't mean it's, it's not going to happen and it kind of naturally happens. But with adults, once you reach like 30, if you haven't acquired some skill, then we know you definitely need to work on it. And a lot of people give up on adults. Mm-hmm. And I know how that feels for people to think like, oh, you're 30, you've reached your peak. That's all you're going to reach. And that's not true. You know, what have you been through that makes you relate with that? Me, like I didn't get my GED, the the test that I told you I had yeah. to take. I didn't pass that until I was 26. Okay. So once I reached the age of, you know, like 21, it was kind of like people thought whatever you reach by then is what, you, you know, that's all you're going to accomplish. Yeah. Like, you know, like that's it. And we they kind of give one up. Year past it and I feel it already. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of like, that's, that's it. Okay. You've done what you're going to do. We're not going to invest in you. You know, people kind of give up on you. And I want to show people that a lot of times with us, we have, de- we're developmentally delayed, which may, it may take longer, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Yeah. So that means we can still be making progress into adulthood. So I never want to give up on adults. I always want to help them find their purpose and their passion in life. So that's why I prefer to work with adults. So speaking of purpose and passion, how many different roles have you had in jobs? Because I know we spoke about yeah. this before. <laughs> so I was a tattoo artist at first, but I'm going to tell you why. I used to, I, I self-harm for sensory input. Mm-hmm. Like I like pinching and poking stuff, stuff that people think is painful. is not painful to me. I, I like kind of enjoy it. So when I got my first tattoo, I realized that, okay, tattooing is a socially acceptable form of self mutilation, which is what I was doing, okay. you know? So I started getting tattoos because I enjoyed the sensory input I got from it. Yeah. But in doing that, I realized that I could help other people that were like me that, you know, inflicted self harm on themselves. But instead of doing it in a way the society frowns upon, we could beautify it. We could illustrate your pain, you know? So I specialized in only helping clients. My clients, when I was tattooing, were only people that were self-injurious, you know, used to cut themselves and we would kind of illustrate their pain and they would get the sensory input they needed. So that's where it derived from, you know, that's where um, like my, my passion for behavior, you know? (laughs) like derived from that's actually I've never thought of tattoos in that way yeah so it's that's actually what it is yeah. <laughs> yes that's, that's actually honestly blow my mind so what is your typical adult day like 
Huh. I have three children, mm-hmm. <laughs> but only one of them lives with me. I have two adult children. Yeah. And so I have a six-year-old, a 20-year-old, and a 25-year-old. So my typical day is like going to work. And now I work for myself because I just quit another job. <laughs> and um, taking care of my, my daughter and my husband. I don't really have to take care of my husband. He probably says he takes care of me more. But yeah, it's just kind of going to work, helping clients. I spend probably the, the latter of the day trying to not burn out and just relax. You know? Yeah. I need like sensory deprivation. How do you find <laughs> like I need Sorry, to finish. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. How do you find being self-employed now? I love it. Somebody just told me today that I seem a whole lot happier. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I am because it's self-directed directed, and I can take a break when I need to, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that might be a good solution for a lot of us to have problems with employment. Do you struggle with like being motivated at all or do you just take rest days when you need them? I do struggle with being motivated, but now that I am working for myself, I can just take a rest when I need to, you know, I, I still try to, you know, I'm still professional, so I don't just like cancel appointments abruptly. But if I feel myself getting tired, I say, okay, for the next three days, I need to make sure that I don't schedule anything, you know, and take a break and kind of like relax. Are you, have you found that your awareness of when you're like, anticipating burnouts or like feel like you're going to need a couple of days off soon? Like, has that gotten better as you've grown older? Yes. I am very, very, very aware of it. And I'm very aware of the consequences of burnout. So, you know, I think your mental health comes first, you know? So I'm like, I can't sacrifice myself for that, you know? What are the consequences for you? For me? Yeah. I have depression too, Mm -hmm. you know? So it kind of like will trigger a depressive episode and kind of like spiral, you know, like out of control. And I'll just shut down. I have selective mutism. Yeah. So I can just like feel like I just can't communicate and just got to be alone. And, you know, that's hard to do when you got a child and, (laughs) you know, like a husband. So I try to prevent it at all costs. So we're going to speak today about how the black culture acceptance of differences in terms of, well, anything that's not anything that varies from the normal and ideal. and than how the autism community see, not how they see black people, but how we're a part of it and what generally tends to go on there. So from your experience, what post-diagnosis, did anything change within your family? Like, just want to expand on that. Well, okay. So I was raised in a predominantly white neighborhood. So most of my friends are not black, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but my husband is African-American from Chicago from like a traditional African-American family, you know? And so I kind of feel like when you are quote unquote, I don't like the terms higher and lower functioning, but for, you know, the sake of conversation, I'll say when you're quote unquote higher functioning, people tend to just like disregard your diagnosis, you know, and dismiss it. Yeah. And are kind of like, okay, you're smart. So it's nothing is, nothing is wrong with you, you know? Yeah. The strength in our community, I feel like, is we do treat our children like nothing is wrong with them. But you need to realize that there are deficits, too, you know, when they are, quote unquote, you know, like higher functioning. Now, when kids have cognitive disabilities and have a little bit more, you know, are severely impacted and have more needs, I I feel like, you know, being autistic is, is great. But being on this side of it, people don't 
view it, you know, like, okay, you autistic, but you smart. So, yeah, like, <laughs> you know, yeah, you look okay. You sound okay. You must be okay. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I'm smart either. That's one of the reasons why I kind of shy away from the term Aspie is because people assume that you're like super intelligent and they don't see your deficits. And it's like, I think it's insulting for the people that are level, you know, like two and three that are not considered Aspies. Like, you don't, sometimes they are super intelligent, but you can't tell because it's really hard to gauge it because they're not verbal, you know, and most of the intelligent tests are gauged for people who have verbal behavior. So if you don't have verbal behavior, then the intellectual tests, you know, are not accurate, you know, so it's really hard to gauge. I like to say that I feel like neurotypicals just don't know how to gauge those of us that are severely impacted because I've broken through to some of them and I found out they just as smart as me, if not smarter, you know? (laughs) So we've seen like in the environmental space, we've got like Greta who's like amazing and but at the same time there's been other activists and people of colour who have been talking about the same shit she does for ages, mm. given that the stuff that she's talking about impacts where they live. So I rem- I can't remember the girl's name for the life of me, but there was this black young woman who was cut out of a picture of about I think it was about four or five activists and I will find her name and put it in the show notes of the episode and probably a link to the whole tweet that happened. But do you ever find that similar things are happening within the awesome community? Like the voices of the black autistics aren't heard as much as those who are. I do. And I'm trying not to sound like the angry black woman, (laughs) but I'm extremely frustrated right now. When it comes to that, you know, I'm kind of older, so I'm new to like the social media thing, but I definitely feel like it's dominated by white women, which is weird to me because that's not even who statistically are diagnosed at the highest rate, you know, and it's white women that seem extremely angry and I'm confused at the argument because I read the arguments and the argument is like, you know, Autism is not a disability, but I want these accommodations. So which one do you want? Do you want to, to, to be acknowledged for having your disability or do you not want to be? Because they're saying it's just a neurotype, which, you know, I know we all have different opinions, but I don't think it's a neurotype because I've been impacted to the point where it affected my quality of life. If it was just a different personality, you know, I would just be a little bit quirky and that's it. But that's not the case for me. I I think I'm of the opinion that it is a, well, how do I phrase this? It's a, autism itself Mm -hmm. is just a difference, but it's the traits that Mm -hmm. that come along with it. They can be disabling. Right. So in that aspect, me, I've been quote unquote disabled from it. Yeah, exactly. You've you've experienced traits on it. the, the, the way that traits have impacted you on a level have disabled you and impacted your quality of life. Right. So yeah, I can't, but then in the same token, these people are also arguing, I want accommodations. The pe- the same people that are saying that, you know, yeah. so which one is it? You know, so it's kind of confusing to me because I'm like, you want accommodations, but you don't want to be, you know, a disability. I'm sorry yeah. for that. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, so it, it's just really confusing to me because I'm like, I I don't understand. And what really also angers me is, you know, of course, you know, I'm a, I do therapy mm-hmm. 
and they're always saying, you know, I don't want to do therapy. Disseminating that fear to parents is not helpful. What you need to be disseminating to me, from my perspective, is educating the parents. Do not allow a therapist to target stemming as a behavior, you know, or anything that looks odd. Like if something looks odd, that is not impacting your quality of life. We need to target things like communication, you know, not harming yourself, daily skills, daily living skills, because yeah. I have clients that are severely impacted. So what makes me so upset is these people that are up and angry and talking about all of this stuff are preventing parents from seeking help for the kids that need it. Because mm-hmm. not everybody is as functional as you are. Not everybody is not impacted to the degree that you are. You know, like my clients are severely impacted. Yeah. So what do you propose the alternative is? You know, yeah. what do you, you not get treatment at all? And when it comes to black people, like specifically self-injury, aggression, you do that on the street if you want to. <laughs> Talking about I can't get treatment and see if you don't get arrested in America. Autism does not make you immune from being put in jail because competency has nothing to do with a disability by the law. The law deems what competency is. And if you understand the difference between right and wrong, which a lot of us do, we just get carried away in our most. you can still go to jail. I have to mention, and I know this is real controversial. I'm finding, because I get DMs, so I know it to be factual. A lot of these people are self-diagnosed. I'm not gonna lie, that's insulting to me, to a degree. Not always. Some people I've totally believe they probably are autistic you know Mm -hmm. and I don't know which ones are but I'm sure there are but I just don't understand how all of a sudden you turn 20 you just google it and you say you got autism yeah because you were socially weird or want to dye your hair color and stem and just because you stem does not mean you have autism because I have sensory processing disorder you can just have you know so I'm like why don't you pursue something and they're like you know healthcare, and I get that But in America, we have like Medicaid and stuff like that, you know, and if you need treatment, you need to get treatment, you know? So I'm torn, you know, Um, so much torn so that last night I made sure that I got credentials to do autism assessments now. Okay. Um, I cannot diagnose, but I'm going to start helping, offering people, if you need an assessment, the assessment can serve as evidence for, you know, grounds to, to seek. But I'm like, you can't just Google like, stuff and say you have it or just you see people that you know act a little quirky and you're like oh I have autism that's not always it it can be other things that look like autism it could be mental illness you know (laughs) like it can be a lot of different things but you need professionals are in place for a reason and if you're impacted you need to get help for what you how you're being impacted you know but from what it looks like online, and I'm going to just be totally candid. And I know I might get like, oh, I hate you for this. It just looks like people that struggled and were like socially awkward have just all decided to be autistic now and color their hair a different color. And it, it kind of it feels, I feel some type of way about that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe I'm old. <laughs> but I'm like, just because you were weird in school and decided to color your hair in STEM and the, the, have you seen any of the like stemming videos? I have. I have. I really So really have. the function of stemming, I can't I don't understand. I don't yeah, this, this is the thing. I don't understand how you can pick up your how it's right. It's oh I don't pick up your camera. Yeah. How, and have, record how it. have you got the how have you got the capacity to stop yourself right. 
from doing what you naturally so, want to do to get right it up, get the lighting right, put a song on, and put on music. <laughs> <laughs> so I and I know a lot of autistic people. I am autistic myself. I stem. I hand flap, and when I hand flap, I make the ugliest faces. It is not graceful because yeah. I'm so excited. You know, so I'm making these ugly, not camera ready faces and my hands are just, you know, I, it's not a cute thing. And it's not like I can pick up my camera. There's been, <laughs> you know? there's been rare occasions where I'll be doing like stims to soothe rather than stims of excitement. I'm never going to never going to get a, a camera ready in time right in, in the office, a bit stressed and I need to like see myself that I'll just be like twiddling my thumbs or tapping a pen. Then I don't even think they're stims because. I, I'm just trying to, oh, I guess they would be because I'm just trying to calm myself down a little bit. So with my free hand, if I wanted to, I could pick up my phone. But at the same right. time, I don't think that, who who is that serving? Like I get that stimming something that's quite unique to the autism community and it, it does kind of make you feel part of it. But at the same time, if you're thinking of recording and thinking of this next thing, you're not fully invested in the thing that you're trying to do to calm yourself down. So it's either going to take you longer right. or it's not going to serve you as well as it could do. And from the clinical aspect, because I see it from both, mm-hmm. it's like, I don't get that. And so what it looks like to me, again, I don't want to sound like the angry black woman, but it looks like this trend that white women have picked up. <laughs> and then they just took over and became the voice. <laughs> and they want to complain about everything. But who's really helping? Who's really helping and making meaningful change in the community besides getting on social media and posting all of these, I hate neurotypicals, they do this. And they're just as bad as the autism parents that they make fun of, you know, because they're doing the same thing to neurotypicals. Because not all neurotypicals are the same either. And they have problems just like we do. And you're being rigid in your mindset to think that they don't have struggles just like you do either. We all have our different struggles, but it's not fair to make that assessment of all neurotypical people, you know? So it angers me because I'm like, what, what is this movement and why is it dominated by them? You know? <laughs> so that makes me upset. I don't know, you know, <laughs> if I should be. <laughs> you should, because if, if all online presence, and to be fair, it's got, it'll eventually trickle through into the media, like there is being an, an uptake, especially, well, I don't know, because I'm hypersensitive to it now, but in the UK, there is more of a conversation around neurodiversity at the minute, and again, it's dominated by white females, and I don't yeah. have a problem with you dominating it if you're making a change that can positively impact every single neurodiverse person, or if you have But where's the representation? Or if and then there's something wrong with this picture if statistically they're not even the people that are most impacted. But the, you know yeah. what I'm saying? But then it's the case of I'm of the opinion like I don't care how we get the change as long as it's made. Like, I don't care who does it. Like if someone like my whole thing with adult and autistic is to create this like platform where people can get the like adulting skills help that they need help with. I mean, I'm not there fully myself yet and it's not done yet, but if someone comes along tomorrow and manages to achieve it in two weeks' time whilst I'm still working on it, I'll drop this and I'll support them. Like As long as it gets done, right. I don't care who by. But I just feel like a lot of the, like like you said, a lot of the people who, well, the white people who are pushing and campaigning, either doing it to help themselves or raise their own profile or whatever and that's cool that's fine like social media is a toxic thing at the minute and if that's how you want to make your money then you do it that way that's cool but at the same time you need to remember what you're 
what you're claiming your purpose is what you're claiming mm-hmm. the people who you're claiming to try and help and that they don't all look like you they don't all act like you and if you are even of the like ability to be online and be talking and communicating in a way that neurotypical people and other autistic people can understand then check your fucking privilege like yeah yeah so tyler the tr- the privilege too is you can do that you can be out in public you know like wilding out some of us gotta work though <laughs> and i don't care who you are it's not masking learning how to work in a professional environment you know it's just certain things that you know are inappropriate it's a time and a place for everything you know yes you should be accommodating your employer like if you get overwhelmed and you need to you know take breaks or whatever that's fine but you can't expect everybody to accept every behavior that everybody engages in that's why even neurotypical people have to conform to some type of standard you know in certain situations you know yeah like just to give an example on that like I struggle with sleep which would and sometimes does relate like result in me being late to work but I can't expect my employer just to be like, oh, it's fine. You can turn up late every day. Like that's not how right. you have a time to be here. And if you can't make that time, maybe this isn't the job for you. Right. Right. <laughs> the kids back. Yeah. Oh, so what change would you like to see be made? I would like to for there to be more representation and not just, you know, black um, people. But I think that, more of the people that are more severely impacted than the ones that are impacted than the ones that are i did it well you did it we did it we made it to the end of that episode usually i would ask you to like if you listen on wait no why do you like yeah like if you listen on youtube subscribe as well because i make normal videos not just these audio only ones and if you listen on apple review and if you listen on spotify to share to your story but Although the content was great, I mean, we probably learned a lot. The actual audio itself was tragic. So I'm just going to say thanks this week. If you want to do any of those things, like, obviously, I'll appreciate it. Feel free. But other than that, like, I'm so sorry about the audio and you had to sit through it. Also, no music. I need to find some new music. Um, So much to do. You have a great rest of your week. Bye.